welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Stay with us. Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. I just read part of Acts chapter 11. Uh, we'll consider that whole chapter this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 11 or on your smartphone or uh, the Bible in, in the seat in front of you. You can grab that um, and follow along with us. Everyone likes a good party. Would you agree? And if anyone likes a good party, it's the folks from our part of the world. After all, we are in the heart of festival season. Uh, as we speak, as we have just got out of French Quarter Fest, and now we're in Jazz Fest season, so we're in the height of festival season, which came at the tail end of crawfish season that got fired up after carnival season, which began after Saints-slash-LSU-slash-Tulane football seasons. And all of these seasons, by the way, come with parties, with watch parties, with, with gatherings, with boils, with celebration, and everyone likes a good party. Even the Bible has its fair share of parties and celebrations. Uh, one of my favorite ones in particular comes from Luke in Luke chapter 5 is, is Matthew's party. Do you remember him? Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. His name was Levi, and he came to know the Lord. Uh, Jesus met him and radically changed Matthew's life. And, and when that happened, Levi, Matthew, threw a party and invited his friends to come meet Jesus. And indeed, that's the best kind of party where we invite our friends to come Meet Jesus. This is what's happening as the gospel spreads to the Gentiles. People are meeting Jesus. And so the church is kind of at this crossroads. Will they celebrate what God is doing among the Gentiles or will they stand in the way of what God is doing among the Gentile believers? In Acts chapter 11, we see an event that calls for a party. The Gentiles met Jesus. They heard, believed, and received the Spirit and were baptized. But in Acts chapter 11, we run against, run up against some potential party poopers. Let's read it again. Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Should be a party. This is a good thing. Celebration. Let's, let's rejoice. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party bad kind of party, these are the party poopers, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so as the word gets back to the church in Jerusalem, uh, these folks aren't so sure about what has happened in Gentile country, what happened in Gentile territory. Did you notice what their complaint is? They say, Peter, here's their concern, that you went to them And not only did you go to them, they're they're kind of struggling here. They're glad the word is being received, but but you ate with them. You fellowshiped with them. They're they're not so much concerned because the Gentiles received the good news that they received the word and received the spirit, but he also ate with them. He he associated with them, and and this tension is beginning to build in the church. Uh, Can you truly be saved? Can you fully be saved? This is going to come up at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But but it's building up to that. Because here was their question. Can you truly be saved, fully be saved, without being circumcised according to the custom of Moses? This was difficult for them. The, the, The good law that God had given to his people, 
had been fulfilled in Christ and finished were all the types and shadows of the ceremonial law. But Peter had struggled with this, as we saw last week with the sheet coming down from heaven. And the Lord said, rise, kill and eat. Don't call anything unclean, for it's all clean. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 7. He declared all foods unclean, but they're still struggling with what's going on. And, and before I go any further, it's, 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 it's not bad to, to test the spirit, Right? To see, is this truly happening? Are the Gentiles truly received? It's, it's good to discern movements among, uh, move, movements of God among people. There can be counterfeit movements of God that are false. But let's also not be so critical and so skeptical, skeptical that we stand in the way of God moving among us in our place among certain people. What, what, what's at stake here? The gospel's at stake. Not, not, not so much in doctrine, but, but in, in gospel culture. Will they just be people who believe the gospel or actually live the gospel? Statements of faith and doctrinal statements are vitally important. But if we say we love God but hate our brother, 1 John 4.20 says we are liars. And so even if their gospel doctrine is tight, that there's no salvation outside of Christ, if they start adding something to the gospel and start putting these requirements upon people being saved, then they truly aren't gospel people. So so you see the conflict here. Yeah, they're receiving the gospel, but can we associate with them? Those aren't our kinds of people. Good fences make good neighbors. Let's keep those fences up. Let the Gentiles do those things. Are we one in Christ? Or must they continue to keep the law of Moses? Must we keep eating the same way or go through the ceremonial um, uh, thing of circumcision? Do we still need to do those things? And so they, they had some questions and they even criticized Peter for eating with these Gentiles. So Peter testifies. I didn't read it a second ago. We looked at it last week. And he recalls what happened to him in Joppa. When he fell into that trance and, and the Lord showed him, he, he brought the sheet down out of heaven. And everything that was once considered unclean, the Lord says, this is clean. Rise, kill, and eat. The Lord was tearing down the dividing walls of hostility that long stood between Jew and Gentile. Jesus had already begun to, done, to do this as he... Uh, preached the Samaritan woman as he declared all foods clean, but, but it's still difficult for them to get. So, so Peter understands. He gets the concern. He gets the difficulty, doesn't he? Because he argued with the Lord three times. He asked, are you sure, God? He was opposed to at first. He, he gets that this is hard. Have you ever had a hard time living by some truth that Jesus has made abundantly clear? Something he's abundantly said is right or wrong in his law, in his book, in his word. Have you ever had a hard time living and clinging to some of the truth that Jesus has made abundantly clear? Peter gets it. And he reminds him in verse, I began to speak. So I, I asked the Lord three times. Verse 10, this happened three times. Then verse 15, as I began to speak. So Peter's testifying to these, these folks in Judea. And I remember the word of the Lord. I began to speak and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how 
how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in the Lord's way? And so Peter testifies to what the Lord has showed him. And and do you see Peter's conclusion? He says, who am I to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they also fell silent. And they glorified God. And then they said, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They fell silent. They glorified God and then said, yes, to the Gentiles also, we also will not stand in God's way. The gospel will go to the Gentiles. This will still be a struggle for them, no doubt. But do you see the conflict that's going on? Do you see how they, they begin to say, yes, they receive the spirit. They receive the same message. They receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are one in Jesus Christ, the Lord is doing something in their midst. And so I want to challenge us with with something this morning. I I want to give two main points and under those points a, a, a few observations. The first big thing coming from what Peter says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The first thing that I want to challenge us with this morning is, is don't stand in God's way. Don't be found opposing what God is doing. The disciples struggled with this early on. Do you remember this? Some people were casting out demons and, and the Lord says, don't be opposed to them if they are not against you. So how do we live a life that's not standing in God's way? And, and the second thing that I want you to, to see this morning, we'll, we'll get to this later, is don't stand in your own way. So two main points this morning, if, if you're taking notes. And don't stand in God's way. And get out of your own way. So let's go ahead and take a look. Don't stand in God's way. The the first thing that I want to challenge you this morning is how do we not stand in God's way? The first thing, don't impose personal preferences upon how God is working. So so we're thinking generally at first. And so they're struggling with with, with the Lord's uh, fulfilling all the types and shadows of the ceremony ceremonial law, so much so that they are now blowing up this cultural thing of circumcision and, and dietary eating and, and all of these things. They're blowing up preferences and these cultural things to necessity. People can be really good at that. Christians can be very good at that, that we can focus so much on the personal preferences of Christianity that we forget about Christ. People can be really good at making God in their own image. For God to look like them, to feel like them, and generally agree with them. And this can be towards uh, aesthetic things, just how things look and personal preferences. It can be cultural things that we begin to blow up or minimize. And we can even see this in in sinful things. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Here's what I'll say. So get out of God's way in the sense of... Don't let personal preferences impose, don't impose personal preferences upon how God is working. Here's what we can do. You can see this in my own heart. I can, you can probably see it in your own. That we can blow, I said this a second ago, that we can blow up preferences to necessities. That's what they were doing here. Even blowing up cultural things, like at this point, like circumcision and dietary laws, as necessities. 
But we can also, maybe this is more of our struggle, we can minimize sinful things to mere preference. We can make light of sinful things. Let me give you an example. Perhaps if you grew up in the 50s and, and 60s, you saw it when Christians, even themselves, probably pushed for segregation. And Mark Johnson is a professor at a New Orleans Seminary, and he recalls um, one of Billy Graham's crusades in Jackson, Mississippi. He says, according to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, the, there was a four-event um, crusade in Jackson, Mississippi that saw over 350,000 attendees with almost 6,000 decisions for Christ. However, he writes, an unforeseen circumstance perplexed Graham and his leadership team. Although Graham received threatening letters and phone calls, blacks and whites worshipped together without incident because Graham removed the red rope of segregation. So even at an evangelistic crusade, there were red ropes of segregation dividing blacks and whites. This culturally acceptable sin began to be just seen as perhaps a, a preference or, or not wrong. And perhaps you can see it today that we, we elevate these, these sins that culture has embraced and culture has justified, and we act like they're no big deal. And here's what Graham said. He said, the closer people of all races get to Christ and his cross, the closer they get to one another. We have to be careful not to impose our personal preferences or our cultural preferences or even our sinful desires upon how God is working. Number two, don't stand in God's way. Don't be opposed to where God is working. For the people seeing the gospel move among the Gentiles, they would certainly be thinking, certainly not in Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. So don't be opposed to where God is working. Antioch was situated uh, on the Orontes River about 300 miles north of Jerusalem and 20 miles east of the Mediterranean. During the first century, it was the third largest city in the world behind Rome and Alexandria. It was the melting pot for at least five cultures, the Greek, Roman, Arab, Persian, and others. The Jews made up about one-seventh of the city's population and had legal sanction to follow their own laws in their own neighborhoods. Antioch was famous for its chariot racing and its deliberate pursuit of pleasure. Antioch was most famous for its worship of Daphne, whose temple stood five miles outside of town. Apollo's famous pursuit of Daphne there was reenacted night and day by the men of the city and by the priestesses who were, in fact, ritual prostitutes. Throughout the world, the phrase, the morals of Daphne, were a euphemism, euphemism for depravity. And it was in this city where God was moving. Don't stand in the way of God. With your personal preferences, don't stand in the way of God of, of where he's moving and the city that he's moving in and never say that God certainly could never move there. Don't we need to hear that in our city? With all this sensuality and immorality, it is here in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And Antioch, we'll see later on, was the birthplace of foreign missions, Acts 13.2. It was in Antioch that had some of the greatest preachers in the first century, Barnabas, Paul, and Peter. In the second century, they had Ignatius. In the third and fourth, they had people like uh, Lucian and Chrysostom. 
God's light can shine in the darkest pits of depravity. God's flowers can blossom in the most putrid bog. Don't stand in the way of where God is working. Don't be found opposing what God is doing through personal preferences. Don't stand in the way of God of, of where he's acting. And, and don't be found opposing, number three, who God is working in. Not only should he not be working according to some of our mindsets in Antioch, but much less among the Gentiles, those people who are so indoctrinated in that culture. Do you remember what James, the brother of Jesus, warns us against? Here's what he says, James chapter 2. He says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing, he wasn't talking about Jew and Gentile here, but we still make these divisions today and oppose who God is working in. Might not be in word, but certainly in deed. You're not going to eat with them, Peter. You're not going to eat with them, Riverside. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you then not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich ones who, it's not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you are really to fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of it all. Don't be found opposing who God is working in. Don't show favoritism. That's what James says. If you show favoritism, then you are a lawbreaker. And, and understand what's, to, what's saying that to the Christians who are demanding uh, circumcision here. And are struggling with that. He's saying you think you're keeping the law, but indeed by not loving your brothers and sisters who have come to Christ, you're showing favoritism and you are not keeping the law, but you are breaking the whole law because you are breaking it on this point. That they stand condemned. Not only that, James shows us that if you treat brothers and sisters like that, you disrespect them. You disrespect them. The, the word favoritism in the original language of the New Testament literally means to receive according to the face. Or in other words, to make judgments about people based on external appearances. To make judgments is not in any way to love your neighbor as yourself. James is dealing with the issue of rich and poor. But aren't there other ways we make judgments upon people who God is working with and in? who are heirs of the kingdom, who have received the love of Jesus Christ, whether it's dress or physical appearance, color of skin, or a host of other characteristics. As the people of God, we must not be found opposing who God is working in, whether it's the Gentiles in Antioch or the brother-sister sitting next to you or the one who hasn't been to church in a while or the one whose life is a mess. Don't be found opposing, because in disrespecting man, you disrespect God. 
So don't be found opposed to God through your personal preferences or to where God is working or, or who he's working among. Let's be like these folks in Acts chapter 18. He's chapter 11, verse 18. He says, then to the Gentiles also. Yes, even to the world, even to all cultures. All, yes, 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 the gospel to all people, that the gospel speaks in power to every culture, every language, every nation. Let's not put up barriers to the gospel, but raise valleys and flat mountains. Let's be like the people in Jesus' day who had the lame friend that tore back the roof so that he might meet Jesus. Let's not be guilty of building walls around the gospel, but tearing down the roof so people can meet Jesus. Don't be, don't stand in God's way. Second thing I want you to know this morning is don't stand in your own way. Don't stand in God's way. So thinking kind of generally there, but now kind of personally with internal struggles, don't be found standing in your own way. Here's what I mean by that. Number one, don't stand in your own way. Get out of your own, get out of the way of your own insecurities. Get out of the way of your own insecurities. Let's take a look at verse 19. Follow along with me. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Who who, who are those? They're not the apostles. They're everyday Christians that the Lord has scattered about these places. They were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And here, here's what I mean, and what I want you to see there about getting the way out of your own insecurities. Maybe, maybe I'm not a professional. I'm not clergy. I don't know all the answers, but, but let me tell you that Antioch was evangelized not by apostles, but by average members of Christ's body who were willing to share their faith with any and everybody. Not just the Jews, but also to the Hellenists, also to the Gentiles. Wherever these fugitives landed, they kindled a blaze. They shared Christ, whoever the Lord put in their paths. Everyday believers empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, blew away the hold of paganism on needy souls, even in a city like Antioch. Get out of the way of your own insecurities. What an example. Simply speaking the words, yes, the signs were good, but they were signs pointing to the power of the gospel. They were preaching to any and everybody, and many believed and turned to the Lord. People like You and me going about sharing the gospel. And maybe those insecurities, we don't necessarily see them there. Maybe you could see them there. Maybe you have church insecurity as well. We aren't the biggest or slickest or whatever. We're not the church in Jerusalem that have the apostles and all those wonderful resources. Neither did they. Get out of the way of your own insecurities. Don't stand in your own way. Get out of your own way, your own insecurities, and get out of the way of your own pride. Listen to what happens next. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God and was glad, and 
he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So get out of the way of your own pride. Notice what they do. The church in Jerusalem sees what's going on. Let's send Barnabas down to figure this out. Barnabas shines as one of the most mature, reliable, and lovable leaders of the early church. It began in Acts chapter 4, where he gave everything he had to the poor. Barnabas was raised on the island of Cyprus. He was a Hellenistic Jew. He had personal friends among those whom he was evangelizing. But Barnabas was a proven encourager, a reconciler, the one who brought Saul and the Jerusalem church together. He was a cheerful, big-hearted, loving person. He was the perfect choice. And then we see Barnabas. He's sent to Antioch to check it out. Send this man down. So he goes to check it out, and, and Barnabas saw. What did he see? He witnessed the grace of God. If anyone can see it, so the people in Jerusalem, I think, are setting aside their pride. Sit down Barnabas to see, because he know he'll give an honest evaluation of what's going on. And Barnabas saw the grace of God. He saw evidence of the grace of God. And Barnabas was glad, and he exhorted them, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He, was, he saw the grace. He was glad. He encouraged them. He exhorted them. These Christians in Antioch, he saw grace, he rejoiced and tenderly encouraged God's people because he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. And then Barnabas lays aside his own pride, doesn't he? I know just the man that will preach the gospel here boldly and have great impact on this city. And it's not me. Barnabas was okay with saying that it's not me. I know a man named Saul. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to bring him down to Antioch. And we'll stay here for a while and continue to preach the gospel so that this church is strengthened. Barnabas is a man who can humbly defer to others for the sake of the kingdom. Today, many guys want to be the chief, the top dog. But as we talk about on Sunday nights, we need to learn to work with others and share in Christ and to put the needs of the church first before our own pride. And so they set aside their pride. Not only did these folks set aside their pride, we saw earlier that uh, they got out of the way of their own insecurities. The last thing I want to point out to you is we need to get out of the way of our own hurts. This chapter starts with the church in Judea criticizing that Peter's eating with these folks. These people could have been greatly hurt about what's going on. Do you know what? They, they doubted what's going on here. They didn't really think the word of God was moving among us. That darn Jerusalem church. Who do they think they are? Has the church ever hurt you before? Now in these days, prophets came, verse 27, came down from Jerusalem. Let's see how this chapter ends. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his own ability, not because they had to, 
but because they were able to and they were glad to, how much can we give to send relief to the brothers living in Judea? And so they did so, sending it to the hands, in the hands of, to the elders in the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I have a feeling some of us would have not let, set aside our own hurts and said, let them figure out it for themselves in Jerusalem. Let them deal with their own. They want to doubt what's going on. Let them deal with it. But they didn't just believe the gospel and were. They believed the gospel indeed. And it completely transformed the church at Antioch so much so that they were called little Christ. They were called Christians. And they were glad to send relief to brothers in Judea. This is a culture of grace. This is the heart of God. All kinds of people in the kingdom, any and all who trust him. They forgot about themselves to magnify the name of Christ. So what? Let's not be found standing in the way of God, standing in the way of the gospel. Let's not be like the crowds preventing hurting people from getting to Jesus. Let's be the friends who tear back down the, tear back the roof so that people can meet Jesus and we can celebrate and party with them. Maybe we need to step back and see what God is doing and get on board and follow him. And let's not oppose to who he's working with or where he's working. And let's not let our own preferences stand in the way. Let's not let our own insecurities, our own pride, our own hurts. And let's see what he might be doing at Riverside and in this city. I want to leave you with this thought. It's a thought I've been churning on since the end of the week. What if Barnabas came to Riverside? What would he see? Think about that for a moment. They send Barnabas down. See what's going on there. And he saw the grace of God. He was encouraged and said, remain faithful. Love what God's doing there. If Barnabas walked in here today and and someone had said, go see what's going on there. What would he see? Would he be found opposing God? Or would he see people laying aside preferences, laying aside pride, laying aside hurts, and rejoicing who and where God is working? Let's pray.